Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat It Up, the podcast where we have local snacks and talk about bites of history. Ba-ba-ba. Sounds yummy to me. Sounds super yummy. Although I think I really missed the mark on local snacks for this week. But that's fine. I still have a snack. So that's kind of what counts. Why? Where's your snack from? Why? Is it not local? Well, what do you mean by that? (laughs) What do you mean? Um, It's technically like, so the location that I went to is in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. but the place originated in France. So some would say that it's not local to, you know, even Canada. Oh, okay. (laughs) Is it like Hmm. a chain or is it like, do you mean it's a chain or do you mean the style of dessert? Um, I guess it would be considered a chain, although I don't think there that they is. have like so many locations. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There's the, the truth. The capitalist in her once again comes out. Yeah. Um, but they don't have like so many locations that I'm like, I would put it in the, the realm of a chain. Right. But yeah, I, I guess in theory, yes, they follow the rules of a chain. Yes. You seem <laughs> obsessed with multinational corporations. <laughs> kind of sucks. Here I'm wearing a Walmart shirt, eating yeah. my McDonald's burger. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, what snack is, where's it from? What is it? So it's called, it's from a place called Paul, P-A-U-L. Yeah. And it's basically a really well-known, like, patisserie in, like, Paris. To the point where, like, I've had, like, people who have lived in Paris have gone there frequently. Then when they found out one was opening here, they waited in line for three hours to get it. So it seems to be, like, very legit. No, which is called Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, at least here. I couldn't okay. tell you what it's called in France. But um, and they they do like all sorts of kind of like baked goods, and then they also do sandwiches and lunches, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I went in and my dad and I <laughs> we just pointed to like the baked goods and we're like, we'll take one of each. <laughs> so okay. what I'm eating today, I don't remember the name of it, but it's like the shape of a pizza pop I would say like that that kind of like half circle <laughs> of pastry and okay. I think this one is filled with like apples oh but I will let you know yeah I do the problem was is like not the problem but all of the names are listed in French mm. and so I know in general what they are but then I forgot and so it's just we're each pastry we're eating is like a blind revelation <laughs> right okay. well that's kind of fun did you select one yeah. for today or yeah yeah so sorry we got like bunch like a bunch of them like i've already had one that was filled with like chocolate and cream and that rocked my world yeah and then we got like a chocolate croissant and like an apple galette and stuff like that but this one is the most mysterious because you can't see any of its fillings yeah from the outside so So we're really working with that i like it we just don't know yeah and i think it's pretty legit because behind me in line were people speaking exclusively French. Holy shit. So, oh, mon Dieu, as the French would say. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. So it, that, to me, gives it some authority. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And what are you eating, Sam? I'm having an almond croissant from... Oh! Yeah, from this coffee shop called Philosophy near yeah. my place. It's um not my place, my parents' place. Um, I'm <laughs> like, my, my own mansion. No, I'm currently living here, but not to mine. Um, it's spelled <laughs> really weird. It's like normal, like P-H-I-L-O. And then the, mm. the second half is S-A-F-Y. So 
for it's kind of a staffy. Yeah, it's kind of a trendy little um, coffee shop near my house. Um, mm. I was going to go to this other coffee shop, Analog, and get a mm-hmm. baked good there. But then I realized that all, well, Ellie told me, my sister Ellie, that all the baked goods they have there come from Al Forno, which I've already right, reviewed. Right. So, yes. <laughs> so I was like, probably kind of cheating <laughs> like if I do that. So <laughs> you just keep on going back to Al Forno in like roundabout yeah. ways. Well, and honestly, this could happened. be fucking Al Forno to my dumb ass. Could I don't know. Why didn't you get the, uh, the chocolate croissant? I love almond croissants, but to me, you don't scream as an They didn't croissant. have any chocolate croissants at Philosophy. So so, oh, okay. Yeah, I had to make do with what I had, obviously. That's very brave of you. Yeah, and many people would say that. <laughs> many people would say I'm kind of a hero, brave for doing those things. So, yeah, specifically those things, nothing else. Yeah, like exactly. In particular, for sure. Yeah, so that's um, that's what I'm eating, and it's yeah. and this is and for the listeners, this is our second last episode. Yes. Because um, so, yeah, <laughs> Sam and I are both starting new adventures in life. Yeah, come August, mm-hmm. and we just we just don't know where those adventures are going to take us. So, who knows if we'll ever come back to this? But for the time being, we need a moment to re reset and refigure our lives out. We're going on hiatus at least. Yes, could be a exactly. permanent hiatus. <laughs> but we're both we're moving. <laughs> we're starting new jobs. Going to school. We just mm-hmm. don't have time. Sorry. We do not. <laughs> no. Or we won't have yeah. time. And sorry for missing no. last week. So the last night. Yeah, we don't really have an excuse for that one. We just, it honestly comes down to poor timing. Yeah. And so we're kind of hitting you with a double whammy in that yeah. we didn't release one last week. And this week is the second last episode. So hopefully we're all coping well with that information. <laughs> hearts across the world will be shattering. <laughs> we know we now have listeners in Palm Springs. Do we? Yeah, which is cool. so fun. Someone's Love on Palm vacay. Springs. Hope you're having a nice yeah. vacay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice exactly. and toasty. Um, but so because these are in theory our last two episodes for the distant foreseeable future, mm-hmm. we're kind of doing almost all stars. I would yeah. say like. Sam's doing something that he's always loved, his true niche, like in yeah. the truest sense. Totally. And I will be doing something very much like that as well. Yeah. So Maria's is more like ready. a well-known historical event that she just loves. Mine is truly. Niche. <laughs> I texted Maria. I texted Maria. Well, people will know from the title of episode. I texted Maria. I'm like, is it time for a stigmata episode? I'm like, is that bad? <laughs> and she was I'm like, so excited for it. She was like, go for it. I was like, oh, I can't tell if that's fake or not, but I'm doing it anyways. Kima, no, if I really didn't feel like it, I would do it with that, like an exclamation mark. So that's when you know that I'm like a little bit annoyed. I think you did. But I think I threw in. But... Yeah, I did some exclamations. So that tends to mean that I'm in a good headspace. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> seemed sus nope. to me, but here we are. Second last episode. <laughs> Stigmata. I'm excited because to me, this is like historical, but it also covers kind of your true fascination with religion and medicine. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that is actually accurate. And that is kind of why I chose it as the topic of my master's research paper. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a <laughs> humble brag. I didn't mean it to be like that, but that's why. For oh, don't worry. No you didn't context, sound humble. That's why I chose this topic because I did a master's research essay paper on this for mm-hmm. my master's in religious studies. So 
we're going to get into it. Maria, this is kind of like almost a test for you. How I'm much do so you nervous. know about stigmata? I was literally like, and no, honestly, there is zero pressure if you don't know anything about it. Because literally last summer when I was writing my master research paper, I've been talking about this for over a year and a half. <laughs> my sister Ellie, who lived with, spent so much time with, goes, what is stigmata? Like it was literally like I was like a month away from finishing my master's. She like didn't even have a clue what it was. Um, You're like perfect. So <laughs> yeah, I did get really mad. I was like, you never listen to me. So if you, so that being said, if you don't know that much about it, don't worry. Okay. If I can get it right. Yeah. Um, it's a thing that's kind of revered i want to say catholic church vibes yeah people who experience stigmata are almost put like almost canonized it's seen as like an act of god and what stigmata can include is like bleeding from the eyes or bleeding from different orifices or almost having like the marks where like jesus was nailed into the cross and stuff yeah and um because of the importance that it's held in the catholic church people have then started faking it and faking that they have stigmata in order to get that same respect, which to me makes me want to vomit. The fact that people would willingly make their eyeballs bleed really <laughs> freaks me out. I but literally, that's, I think, no, that's, that's, that's almost bang on. I was laughing because I was like, I knew she was going to bring up the bleeding from the eyes thing. Cause I was, yeah. I remember I was reading a book about it and they had pictures of, of Therese Newman, who we'll talk about, who's one of the famous stigmatics of the 20th century. And she's like bleeding from her eyes. And it's like a really graphic image. Uh, and it looks like something from a horror movie. And I showed yes. it to Maria and she really did not like it. So I had a feeling <laughs> that was going to come back. Um, it really, whenever I think of stigmata, I'm like bleeding eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which honestly, that's not even like the main feature of it. But like, that's like <laughs> one of the most sensational kind of elements. Yes. So yeah, yes. You're, you basically have it like bang on like um, in like, just, I guess, overview of like what are stigmata. A lot of people will be like, what the fuck is stigmata? I've never heard that word before. Yes. That is so fair and incredibly valid of you to have not heard that word. Um, dumb, dumb. No. <laughs> yeah, dumb shame. <laughs> fucking idiots. No. Um, so stigmata generally um, refer to people who claim to have received Christ's crucifixion wounds, but like on their own body. They like appear um, mm. spontaneously. And Mm -hmm. so the first recorded case of it is with St. Francis in 1224. St. Francis of Assisi being like the most famous um, Catholic saint, probably one of the most beloved Catholic saints. Um, And not necessarily known, I guess, for his stigmata, but he is the first um, recorded person to have said to receive these stigmata. He had a vision of a six-winged angel, a seraph, and um, felt this like piercing light from the heavens in his hands, his feet, and in his side. And he received these, these wounds that would bleed on his, like, so on his hands, his feet and his side. So that the five wounds of Jesus's crucifixion since Mm. then, hundreds of people have claimed they've also received the stigmata, but it's kind of come to encompass more broadly, any kinds of um, injuries that Christ would have received during his crucifixion. So, you know, Mm. like a wound on the shoulder from carrying the cross or like wounds on the forehead from the crown of thorns. And then sometimes beyond even like wounds that Christ would have received during his crucifixion, just like random sensational shit, like Maria noted, bleeding from the (laughs) eyes, which I don't think like I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't bleeding profusely from his eyes, but someone can fact check. They didn't put it in the Bible. So, (laughs) well, yeah, I was like, okay, that's just kind of like spectacular, but um, Mm -hmm. that's generally like what um, those wounds are. And like you said, Maria, so 
a lot of Catholic figures have been revered because of their stigmata, but that's mm-hmm. mostly by like the lay Catholics, like people living in community right. with these people. And the Catholic church broadly has been extremely critical and skeptical um, like right. the, the the official apparatus of, of the Catholic Church has been extremely critical of stigmata and people who claim them and have really a vested interest in trying to like limit um, like contact of like thought like of Catholics with people who claim these stigmata um, and we'll get into right. the details of it so there's kind of that tension so like as you know like these people who get the stigmata like St. Francis and then these people in the, the 20th century like um, Padre Pio from from Italy and Therese Newman had like massive 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 international followings like people around mm-hmm. the world know who they are there's Pio particularly is probably the most popular 20th century saint for and explicitly because he had these stigmata and people would go on pilgrimage to see him. And it was it was a huge thing. Um, but the Catholic Church itself, like the the, the church officials, the Vatican were very um, skeptical of his claims, tried to limit his contact um, with followers, his ability right. to, to lead mass and things like that. And so there's that tension between like official um, Catholicism and kind of like popular Catholicism there. Right. But that's kind right. of the, that's the overview of what it is, I think. Did that make sense? Cool, okay. Yeah, you know a little bit about it. Um, okay, well, let's <laughs> talk a little bit. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Ellie, if you're listening to this, you have some work to do. I mean, this is this actually <laughs> yeah. this episode is just educational for her because she. Yeah, it's specifically dedicated to Ellie. Yeah. Um, okay, what are the things that we can talk about? I don't really have a super clear structure just because I was feeling we might just riff. I feel like it's one of the few topics that like I feel actually somewhat in my depth about because. actually have read about it so um let's see okay so where does the word stigmata come from do you know maria this is like turning into a pop quiz i don't i don't know what any of the words attached to stigmata no and honestly i didn't either until i had to look into it um so interestingly it comes from the greek word stigma which means marks or punctures Hmm. um and the term is thought to initially come from Paul in Galatians notes that he has the marks of Jesus on his body. And so in Greek, the word for market is, is stigma and I think plural is stigmata. And so um, he's talking in this time, like more in the sense of like, he bore like the, the marks of like Roman persecution on his body as a Christian mm. in this time, rather mm. than like, he's not saying like, I literally have the stigmata that we think of like now, but right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where the word uh, initially comes from. Um, interestingly, like we can, I guess we can just, I can just tell you a little bit of like random interesting facts about stuff. <laughs> I don't really have a good to, yes. plan. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's where the word comes from. In terms of like the vibe of like, I guess, who's getting stigmata, like what, how does it happen? So for the most part, it's usually women. So it's between 80 and 90% of people who claim to be stigmatics. Most of them are women. Um, there's been hundreds since the 13th century when when um, St. Francis first claimed them, but there's no like definitive um, list of like stigmatics. Obviously, it's kind of hard to track, right. especially through the medieval period. Um, right. Most people who get them often have them appear after like a vision. So either of like an angel of Mary or of Jesus, ah. um, or they hear voices of, of God um, or Jesus, and then they they have, they, they receive these wounds. Um, right. They often appear 
um, like, so people will receive these wounds, but they don't always bleed. So people will have kind of like closed sores. Um, and then mm. like, say every Friday, the sores will open spontaneously no. start to bleed oh. and no. then close it, up again. Or oh, no. people will get them like on religious holiday, like Christian holidays. So like say, um, Easter, for example, people will have them mm. like go crazy on Easter. Um, right. they go absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> So that's an interesting dynamic too. There's like kind of like a time-based function. And um, that's one of the, like when medical investigators have looked into them, that's one thing that they're interested in is how is it that these wounds can like open and close um, seemingly Mm -hmm. on their own and seemingly tied to like important um, like calendar dates or dates of the week. In terms of where stigmata are found, generally, like I said, it's mostly Catholics, mostly in um, Western Europe. Um, but there have been recorded cases of some Protestants who claim them too. Um, and there's apparently in other like religious tr- traditions, so amongst like Muslims and Jews, there are apparently analogous cases where people will claim kind of like spontaneous holy wounds, but obviously not like necessarily Jesus's crucifixion. Um, so it exists kind of in, in other, I guess, traditions. So that's like the background. And then we can talk a little bit about um what I think is kind of interesting is like the medical angle. Cause obviously, like you said at the start, like a lot of it, um, like stigmata are interesting because it's people claiming that they have received like this divine mark on their body, but at the same time, um, like medical actors also say they have a claim to, to determining like the truth about these wounds, right? And so mm-hmm. there's like this tension between maybe, um, Catholic uh, devotees or followers of these people who think these wounds are real, uh, medical actors who may be critical of the wounds and think they're fake or who might themselves be devout and try and use medical knowledge to substantiate these claims. And then there's also like Vatican officials, some of whom are critical of stigmata or generally are critical and think like this is bad for the church and others who might be a bit more supportive. So there's kind of all those actors in there. Did you have a question? Yeah, sorry. It kind of is, we've passed it a little bit, but so when, when Jews and Muslims are saying that they have holy wounds, yeah. what, like, because I can understand how Catholics are like, oh, these are like signs of like Jesus on the cross. Right. But if Jews and Muslims aren't specifically citing that as being like their holy wound, yeah. how does it qualify as a holy wound and not just like Oh, like I scraped myself and I didn't remember, you know, or like, or like something happened here and I just don't like, how does, how does it qualify? Like, what do they think of that? Right. My understanding and is that like, there are people, it's people claiming that they've received like wounds that say, um, if they're Muslim, that like Muhammad would have received at some point. And so they're, they're not saying like, these are like. I have stigmata in like the Christian sense of like Jesus's crucifixion wounds, Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, some people have argued that other, this, phenomenon exists in other traditions where people will say yeah I have these wounds like appear spontaneously on my body that correspond to the location of wounds right. of someone in years past that is religiously significant right like they cite it back to like their yeah their beliefs to their okay, own okay. kind of tradition so that's like the argument yeah. that some people make about okay. um that like stigmata like if you think in the broader sense like if there's some sort of like pathophysiological mechanism at play that this exists in other religious traditions I yeah. guess is the okay. argument some people make Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, 
so we can talk a little bit, I guess, about like the the um the 19th century and the 20th century, because I think that's where shit starts to get a bit interesting with stigmata. Yeah. So in the 19th century, um across Europe, Western Europe particularly, you have like this big uptick of like Marian apparitions, like so like the like Mary appearing to like people. Um, statues right. weeping, like things kind of like mm. that. Like if you think of that Dairy Girls episode, Dairy Girls, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah, like visions of Fatima, like Our Lady of Fatima, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. That becomes quite popular in the the 19th century, and there's like an uptick kind of in this um, kind of a supernatural or kind of superstitious kind of Catholicism um, that was increasingly at odds with official narratives of Catholicism that like uh, officials of the the Vatican were trying to perhaps limit because if you're thinking like this is post-Protestant Reformation and the Catholics are sometimes seen as by Protestants in Western Europe as being like um, too superstitious, irrational, too focused on the body, like um, like it's a like peasant religion and not like a, a rational learned religion mm-hmm. kind of in the same way that you know there's this focus on um, scripture and text in, in the Protestant tradition and, and reason right. and so right. there's kind of this tension if you have all these people claiming like apparitions of holy figures and statues weeping and like people claiming these stigmata um, the Catholic Church was trying to like in some ways tamp down on those things because it made critics, it gave fodder to critics who were saying like, you're too superstitious. But at the same time, they tried to use it where possible to try and like channel popular religious interest in the church and channel that interest into getting people to like go to church. And okay, so that's the 19th century. Like that's kind of the the context that we're talking about. And there's lots of um, famous stigmatics in this time, like Louise Lateau in France, Gemma Galgani in Italy, who, who amassed like big uh, followings of people from across Europe. People go on pilgrimage to visit Mm. these people while they're alive. And at the same time in the, like the late 19th century in France, particularly there's an attempt to try and, or I guess that the field of psychiatry is like a burgeoning field. And I think we talked about this a little bit on our episode about um, plastic surgery, that like the arrangements of like medical specialties that we have today are like a relatively recent historical fact, right? And so psychiatry mm-hmm. as, a, as a, a specialty hadn't really come to be until the late 19th century in France, um, in Paris okay. and in other locations, you have doctors start to organize and start to try and develop this new field of knowledge around um, psychiatry as separate from neurology, which is more focused on, on nerves. Mm. And in this period, hysteria, our favorite <laughs> super problematic Mass disease hysteria. makes a comeback. Um, <laughs> cool. and so, and so we'll talk about hysteria has a, has a long link with stigmata. And I think it's kind of an interesting, um, interesting kind of case study for thinking about like some of the problems with um, thinking through stigmata as like a religious or as like a a medical problem. And so it's in the 19th century in France. Like, so we have this marrying age, um, you know, psychiatry is developing as this new um, medical discipline and you have Mm -hmm. all these um, French psychiatrists. So among, and they're seen as like the kind of the founding fathers, quote unquote, of the field. You have people like, um, Charcot and Bourneville and all these other doctors um, who interestingly try like undertake this project of qualifying religious phenomena as mental disorders. 
So, oh, cool. so they, they do, they do it like, and they do this a whole, in a whole different bunch of different ways. But like, for example, they take famous historical pieces of art that depict say like religious ecstasy um, or religious occurrences. And then they analyze them according to their new kind of um, diagnoses that psychiatry develops around mental disorder. So they start to medicalize all these like religious ecstasies um, or like any kind of religious superstitious phenomenon. So like I said, they like put together this like um, this work, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a work of like a series of famous historical pieces of art that depict religious ecstasies or religious kind of um, phenomenon that are seen as more superstitious. And they try and mm. say, this is actually like a hysterical arch, for example. So one of the the key features of hysteria at this time, um, because it changed a lot over the centuries, but at this time in France, they thought of it a lot having to do with convulsions and the way that people would kind of arch their backs. And so they'd say, well, look, this person in this painting of religious ecstasy they're arching their back. And it's a, it's a similar thing to how our patients today in our clinics have hysterical fits. And so those mm. saints of years past must have been hysterical too. And that it was just this irrational age where we thought these things were um, religious or divine, um, that they were ascribed these this value. But in actual fact, these people were hysterical. And we know that now because we're enlightened medical actors, if that makes sense. And so As part of this project, they like looked at people like St. Francis and, um, you know, called them hysterical, um, neurotic, like famous religious figures. Right. Yes. Um, So there's this this looking backwards at all these religious figures. And then there's also an attempt to delegitimize contemporary religious figures in the period who also are having these kinds of um, religious ecstasies. So people like Gemma Galgani, people like Louise Leto, who have these stigmata in this same period, mm-hmm. who are contemporary with these doctors, they also write about them publicly and say, these people aren't, you know, um, someone who they aren't, they aren't people who received, you know, divine religious inspiration and have these, these marks that are by the grace of God. They're actually people who are hysterical. They're having hysterical fits. And so, you know, it, it's the unenlightened masses, the, the irrational peasants who are, who are following them basically. Right. So that's kind of the, that's where this kind of link between stigmata and hysteria is first form. It's really the first attempt to properly medicalize it with a diagnosis. There'd been attempts in like medieval times to bring physicians Mm -hmm. in to like investigate cases, but never Mm -hmm. had it been so um, systematic and rigorous in terms of like applying uh, medical knowledge that supposedly fits the scientific method to to discredit these people. Um, So that's where like they, those things get drawn together. And I think obviously has a lot to do with like gender dynamics. Like these are mostly <laughs> women, obviously mostly women from poor rural towns um, who are being discredited by these uh, male wealthy urban doctors as being basically crazy. Um, hysteria is like a- This has really come full circle for you, Sam, because we started off with the European witch trials. Yeah. And now- it actually did kind of come I didn't even notice uh um that's actually really interesting I'm gonna have to think about that um but yeah so like hysteria at this time like one scholar called it the wastebasket of illness because like literally anything under the sun they were like that's a symptom of hysteria and so like the, the, the the point being like was this like a good faith attempt to like heal sick people no it was an attempt by this burgeoning medical specialty to like bolster their own reputation 
um, right. while like railing against these the so-called superstitious like uneducated masses um and there's right. a clear gender dynamic there um yeah both with stigmata being mostly women and also just this this diagnosis of hysteria generally um that they used at the time to to do all sorts of horrible things to women so that's kind of one historical moment to point out um that's the 19th century like late 19th century and then into the 20th questions about that before we do 20th century i don't think so it kind of like so basically what happened is starting in like the 19th century you have psychiatry picking up in France and they're like, we're going to look at all these cases of supposed stigmata and be like kind of discredit them and be like, these aren't actually like religious phenomena. They're actually like medically linked to something happening in these people. Yeah. But instead of like kind of going about it in, in a way that might be more scientifically accurate, they were just putting it towards hysteria and being like, this is what it is. Yeah. Whereas hysteria has covered so many things to critique women throughout history. <laughs> yeah. It's kind no, of vibe. Exactly. And I mean, like the yeah. only thing I'll add to this, I don't want to make it too complicated. I just find this really interesting. The other thing to think of that's relevant in, in this time period is that um, in the, the time period we're talking about, France is in what's called the, I think the third Republic. So this is post-revolution mm-hmm. and they have like kind of obviously a series of crises about their government. They're like yeah. moving away from this ancien regime where the monarchs have this divine right to rule. Um, that's mm-hmm. legitimated by the Catholic Church. So it's a third republic. So it's the third, I guess, attempt to, to form um, a, a republic government that's like, I guess, democratically right. elected. But at this time, there's also a movement amongst monarchists to bring back the, and I mean, there, there was there were always there was always a movement to bring back, I guess, the monarchs, but <laughs> like a, a faction of people who wanted the monarchs to come back. Um, but there's also like a, a movement in this time to bring back the last living monarch or descendant of the monarchs mm-hmm. to the throne right. and to return to this kind of ancien regime. And so the psychiatrists, right. interestingly, align themselves with the Republican politicians, like the secular ones who are saying like, no, fuck that. We're not bringing back the king. We're not bringing back the divine right of kings. And so there's also kind of like that, um, uh, there's alliances formed between like the psychiatrists and the Republican politicians on one side and the church oh. and the Catholic the, the Catholic Church and the, the, this monarchist movement on the other. And so right, some scholars right, right. also ascribe this kind of really um, aggressively secular um, approach by the psychiatrist as being part of this political project of trying to just generally right. discredit the Catholic Church and saying like, you are backwards, superstitious, irrational. We are yes. the rational, enlightened medical actors who are free from the bonds of... of um, of the church. And so there's also that kind right. of political dynamic. It's not like super relevant here. I just, well, it is kind of, it's the But that makes sense kind of maybe why they would attach, attach themselves to that. Yeah. And you can see like, because they're a new specialty, they're trying to also win favor themselves. And so they're mm-hmm. hitching their wagon mm-hmm. to these ascendant Republican politicians in hopes of it bolstering their own standing, right? So right. There's, there's a lot of play in in some of these things i think so that's the 19th century i love how i'm like that's the 19th century um i'm like that's the whole thing in a nutshell there you go so key thing in the 19th century is that's when you have this like hysterical this medicalization of stigmata and it's linking to stigma into hysteria in the 20th century is when you get the biggest like i guess like stigmata become huge in this period because Mm -hmm. of the two figures I mentioned before, Padre Pio of Italy and Therese Newman of Germany, who both claim to have the stigmata 
Um, they both claim them around like the, I want to say the ninth, late 1910s, maybe 1920s and mm. live until both of them live until I think the fifties or sixties. And oh. in that period, they amass like huge followings and not just within Europe, like it's not just like pilgrims moving around Western Europe, but actually around the world. Because if you're thinking in this time, like that's uh, the second world war. And when, yes, for so example, yeah. the Americans occupied Italy or parts mm. of Italy, um, mm-hmm. many of them brought back stories to the U.S. about Padre Pio. And oh. so you have this kind of transnational dynamic where, um, yes. and obviously that's accompanied by a whole bunch of like technological developments that make like international communication easier. But mm-hmm. um, you get these huge, like millions and millions and millions of people like go to see them like like make pilgrimages to them or like know about them send postcards whatever pray to them so they become quite popular um Mm. like we talked about at the start um the criticism of these figures came not only from medical actors who by this point had really taken up this language of hysteria that had been developed in the century prior so like Padre Pio was called like hysterical having histrionic personality disorder whatever um, as was uh, Therese Newman but not those that language wasn't just used by medical doctors it was also used by uh, church officials who were highly critical of this kind of irrational quote-unquote superstitious religion. And so you have people like Augustino Gemelli, who's a, a famous uh, Catholic figure um, who founded, the, I think, the Sacred Heart University in Milan, I think, like huge intellectual in the Catholic world um, and was a big uh, push for rationalism and, and Catholicism, this move away from this, the superstitious. And he was hypercritical of these kinds of so-called Catholics who he thought were, you know, faking these, these illnesses. So, right. th- and so you see this, this criticism of hysteria, not only from medical actors at the time, but also um, other Catholics and Catholic officials who were, who were very critical of these people. I have a question, Sam. Yeah. Do you believe them? Mm. That's really interesting. I get asked this a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> by intellectuals I get asked this all the time (laughs) no I people have asked me this before though like I don't know what to think honestly like I think there's so much about the body that we don't know that um I don't think it's impossible I I don't know I don't I really don't know I guess my thing is like and with my like master's research was more the the purpose of was looking at like why do people make these claims about it? Like, why do people make these these mm. criticisms? Who's making these criticisms and how do they make them? And so mm-hmm. I found it really interesting that A, hysteria was the language that was used, this me- medicalized category that is um, particularly gendered was the, the language that a lot of critics used to, to critique them. Um, mm-hmm. B, that it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't medicine versus religion. It wasn't like medical actors versus like, the Catholic church, but there's also mm-hmm. tensions within the Catholic church, um, both mm-hmm. at the, the level of like the Vatican, like the official Catholic church and also like followers between kind of a more rationalist and a more uh, supernaturalist, I guess, kind of group. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know, like I'm not Catholic myself. So it's like, or Christian. So it's not like, I'm like, I like personally, like, yeah, God gave you those wounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. because that's just not my like schema of how the world, the universe works, I guess. Yeah. But, um, 
I do think there's lots we don't know about the body and like it just it's interesting to see like reading some of the case um literature on it it does seem like if you're going to give it a medical term like you probably say it's like psychosomatic like I don't there's it seems to be that these wounds genuinely appear without like abrasion or cutting or, or anything mm-hmm. else. Like it does mm-hmm. in some cases, at least in other cases, mm-hmm. there's more evidence that perhaps people were using like um, acids to like burn their hands or, or something like yeah. that. But, but yeah. a lot of the lesions like don't look like chemical burns and don't look like physical um, abrasions or, or cuts or incisions. So yeah, I don't know what to think about it. Cool. What do you think about it as our resident Catholic on the pod? Hello, here I am, Pope's Corner. Yeah, Pope's um, Corner. <laughs> I don't know. I want it like, this isn't like a great answer, but in my head, I do think that there are likely instances where it can be qualified as stigmata. I don't know, like, I don't know how it would come about, but I think there are instances where people genuinely receive these. They're in the areas where Christ would have got them and they have no clue right. how it came about. And that's right. like, I believe that there are some people who fit in that. Yeah. I do think though, that there's probably a majority of people who have claimed to have had it probably didn't actually have it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't blame them for like, especially like if you're, a like less well-off person living in like rural 1800s. Yeah. I could see why maybe you would want to make that claim and Mm -hmm. like it might help you out a bit. So I don't think that that's like horrific that they did that, but I don't think that there's very many instances where it's very real. Right. I think that people maybe have latched onto it. Yeah. I probably agree. I probably feel like the same way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, the only other thing I guess I'll add about the 20th century um, like not only were medical actors like critical of medical and religious actors or Catholic actors kind of critical of these stigmata using this language of hysteria, but there were also many medical actors at the time who were physicians and also Catholic who, who either worked, um, at the Vatican as like, say the physician to the Pope or who were, mm. who taught at like Catholic universities who genuinely believed, for example, that Padre Pio's wounds were genuinely divine and tried right. to use medical knowledge um, in a systematic way to prove that there was no medical, no known medical cause that could explain these things. And right. thus they had to be a miracle or they had to be, I guess the, the technically that's not a miracle in, in the, the sense that the, the church uses, um, mm-hmm. but they call it a, a grace, I guess, like something that right. is right. Um, without explanation. And so following this, there was um, like following Pio and Newman's death, there were huge pushes by their their devotees to to canonize them, um, to beatify and then canonize them. Interestingly, and I think you mentioned this at the start, um, stigmata are not considered as part of a canonization process, at least not in in modern canonization. So they're not, they're considered, but only... If they're, if they're only considered, if they're found to be faking them. So like, say if Padre Pio, if there was <laughs> overwhelming evidence that he had faked his stigmata, which they, which mm-hmm. the church sent investigators to go look at him, like in the the twenties, right after he claimed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was generally found that they thought they were legitimate or they couldn't find any known cause that had, that had caused them. They thought perhaps acid, but, but probably not. And so, um, if he'd been found to be faking, that would disqualify him from being a saint because he wouldn't have the requisite, you know, virtues 
um, needed mm-hmm. to be a saint and he would be obviously like that would be a disgrace to the church if he was canonized yes. and then after um, <laughs> he was found to be lying. Um, so they don't consider that it outside of that, if that makes sense. Um, oh, okay. in, in the okay. strict canonization process, obviously like they're, they're savvy in, in a political sense and know that like the stigmata are the reason Padre Pio is famous. And so they mm-hmm. can like canonize him and canonizing him would be good for the church because you have all these like people who are devoted to the church, um, who would be, you know, really excited and committed to the church if he was canonized, but they don't necessarily want to like emphasize the fact he had stigmata from the official narrative. So for example, when you, he was eventually canonized. um, And when you read like the official release from the Vatican on his canonization, the word stigmata doesn't show up at all. He's just known for his, he's just known for, um, you know, his virtues. And I think they might mention one thing about supernatural, but the the stigmata don't come up. So again, you know what would be cool, Sam? What? Because the Catholics, they have the seven sacraments, right? Right. And for confirmation, which happens when you're like about 12 or so, you have to pick like a saint that you're like under or whatever. That's your namesake, whatever. Yeah. You could have done Paul. (laughs) I know <laughs> little you could have been like then Paul <laughs> I know but <laughs> I'm also I'm sadly not Catholic I do have Padre no. Pio's I do have a relic from him though my prof oh, one of my profs went to Italy for research and oh and brought me back like a piece of his um his bandages that covered his hands and so they're oh, considered creepy. relics yeah Oh, is it like framed or you just have like a bandage lying it's around? It's in like a little, like it's a little laminated plastic card. And then in the middle, it like, and it, there's writing oh. about him and a picture of him. And then there's a little circle that's ostensibly his bandage, a piece of his bandage. Oh, okay. I was like, are you just carrying around like a bloody bandage? No. I, like, <laughs> I do have his stuff. So, cool, um, or if, yeah, allegedly. So, um, allegedly. so yeah, they were canonized. Not a lot of talk about the stigmata, which I mean, I guess we could kind of predict. Um mm-hmm. But, and I mean, the other reason, I guess that like this whole, they have to like disqualify the stigmata of being fake is that in the church canonization, and you probably know this as a good Catholic girl, that oh, canoniz- absolutely. canonization <laughs> isn't the church deeming someone a saint. It's the church recognizing that that person is in heaven with God, like that, right? So right. they're recognizing an existing fact. They're not mm-hmm. deeming them as something in a way that changes who they are. So right. So it would be awkward if the church, you know, recognizes that Padre Pio is in heaven with God as a saint, can intercede. And then it turns out actually he'd faked all this stuff and was a charlatan. That would be yes. like quite a problem for them. Um, yes. so, so there's yeah. a lot of investigation of him um, of his wounds until he dies to make sure that um, it was legit. And then Therese Newman and, from Germany, yeah. she was she was beatified, which is the step before canonization. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. She wasn't canonized. And it's because she doesn't have a second miracle attributed to her, I think. So the rules around canonization have changed a lot over the, the past, like a hundred years old, <laughs> especially. But um, right. basically for you to be beatified, you have to have, I think one, you have to be like shown to be like of heroic virtue along Mm. like a list of um, Catholic virtues. So you have to have lived a virtuous life and not have been like a heretic in any way. And then you also have to have at least one miracle attributed to your intercession after death. So after both of them died, if someone came forward and said, you know, I had leukemia, the doctors couldn't treat me. I was on the brink of death. Um, I prayed to Padre Pio and my leukemia disappeared they would have to, you would put a claim forward um, 
saying like through your parish saying like this happened the the vatican would investigate it you put towards this like put this dossier together send it to them if it was legitimated then you have that miracle attributed to that that person that prospective um mm-hmm. saint or, or blessed and then they could that could be enough to get you say like beatified and then you would need right. typically another one to be canonized so from my understanding right. newman only has one attributed to her Whereas mm-hmm. Pio obviously had had enough to be canonized, so wow, random facts. So, anyways, that's um, that's 20th century, and then we can talk significance after if you want. But that's kind of like the yeah. the the recent history of stigmata. Um, what's been what people have been talking about? <laughs> what's all the rage these what's days? All the rage with the the, <laughs> the stigmatics. Well, good job, Sam. Thanks. I forgot how much I love this shit. It's so like, yeah, honestly, because I feel like I knew briefly about stigmata, obviously, because you were researching it, but never really knew <laughs> what what more about it. So this was in, very interesting. I've never had you as like a captive audience for like an hour and a half like, where you, you just have, have to, to listen. listen to me. <laughs> no, please. Like, what a brilliant stop. time. <laughs> Perfect. Um, how is your snack? It's fantastic. Is it? Yeah. I don't know how to describe it because although it's like the shape of a pizza pocket, mm-hmm. it is just very flaky croissant like pastry. Okay. And then it's filled with an apple compote almost. Ooh, love. Or like I would say it's almost like a applesauce texture, but more flavor into it. Interesting. And it's like real good. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's delicious. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out to Shout that out pizza to pop shapes apple compote thing from Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to describe it in the Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. You're not selling it TBH. <laughs> Thanks. No, I mean, I know you are. Um, my almond croissant. Here's a funny thing. I really like it. It's really crunchy on the outside. Oh. Like super Oh, because most almond croissants are double baked, I guess. I guess. So I guess that's maybe what it is. I, I Not I guess. I didn't know that until you just said it. I'm like, I guess. Yeah. No, I didn't know that they're <laughs> double baked, but that would make sense. Um, Sometimes, it's really, yeah. It's really crunchy, which I like. And I like the flavors. Mm. Like, I'm really into it. Ellie texted me because I got her one too. She said, what did she say to me? I'll read it. To, uh, this is kind of, I guess, a violation of privacy. She said, I found that croissant so sickening and kind of gross. I mean, I ate the whole thing, but God. And I was like, oh, why no. was it gross? And she said, ooh, I found it sick, but I still liked it and ate it. So different kind of A reviews. twisted mind on that girl. A twisted mind. A little. Mind. I loved it. I honestly think it's really good. So um, I love I almond croissants because it's almost like a gooey marzipan inside. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Which like, I love. It, it's really, I thought it's fine, but um, I guess take my review with a grain of salt. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Ellie still said that she liked it and ate it. I know. But also that it was gross. So that's um, a trickier review. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. But anyways. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite good, actually. So. Do we want to dive into significance Let's while do we're it. here? Let me Let's just... do it. Okay. So what's the significance? I can think of about three things. Cool. Okay. And I didn't number them, but I'm like going to try and do it now. You're like off the top of my head? No, I have notes. I, I don't know why I didn't number them. Okay. Um, first, in a very like kind of specific example of its significance, 
in 2016, I think, this young woman in Samoa claimed that she'd re- received the stigmata. For context, Samoa mm. is quite a, a Protestant country. Like it's not like, it's not predominantly Catholic. I, is my understanding, I might be wrong on that. Anyways, this woman went to a Protestant church too. Like it wasn't a Catholic church. Right. Claims right. she's received the stigmata. It like created a massive national scandal. There were all these like um, editorials and articles like on her and like, was she going to go to Rome and like visit or could Rome send people? Like it was this whole thing um, mm. like t- to verify her stigmata. And then um, people were like writing into like the Samoan Observer, I think is the, the newspaper, like kind of shitting on her and saying she's lying and that like mm. people in her community are like putting her up to it. And now I was looking into it because I'd heard of it, like obviously when I was doing this research and I wanted to see what was new with it for this. And now there's a, a defamation suit that she launched against some of these people who made those claims against her. Oh, um, damn. And she's claiming, I think, $700,000 worth of damages. Oh. So, and it's before the Samoan Supreme uh, Court. So, oh, so in a, in a very kind of like, I guess, political current affairs kind of thing yeah in Samoa right now it's like actually like a big um a big thing and like this kind of debate are are they real are they not are they faked like is she being put up to it is she like quote-unquote hysterical or not whatever so that's kind of come up recently in the news um so that's kind of on, on one level um on another level like if you look at the medical literature that exists like in the past, say five years, five, six years, and you look up like stigmata saying on PubMed, um, which is like a medical literature database, a lot of the case reports or reviews on stigmata will either directly cite hysteria as like a potential cause. So they'll like quite literally be like, it's po- like hysteria is like the cause of um, these wounds and it's like psychosomatic right. or right. they'll use one of like say four or five other disorders they'll use conversion disorder dissociative identity disorder histrionic personality disorder or factitious disorder the interesting thing about all four of those things which have quite different I guess like etiologies like how they come to be or and how they, they they're thought to function is that all of those disorders descend from hysteria as a diagnosis so a bit of context oh. in in the 80s, um, the DSM, like the DSM-3 and the DSM-3 um, like revised version, which is like this, this manual that's used that like has, you know, that all the, the diagnoses of recognized psychological disorders, it, it's a, the American-based one. They basically split up hysteria into a whole bunch of other disorders and like removed it from being its own like classification. Right. And so all of the disorders that I listed that are now cited as potential causes of stigmata. So conversion disorder, uh, dissociative identity disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and factitious disorder. Those are all now cited in the medical literature. If they don't use say hysteria outright, they'll use mm-hmm. a combination of those things. And right. so I think it's just an, it's an interesting, I guess, like historical through line that even mm-hmm. though, um, you know, there, there are cases still of doctors calling these women hysterical outright in the medical literature. They also are, if not doing that uh, directly with this word hysteria, like the diagnosis hysteria, they're doing it kind of implicitly by mm-hmm. basically just using little chunks that hysteria was broken into 
um, right. to, to this day. So right. I think that's kind of an, an interesting thing to be aware of. Um, and especially things like histrionic personality disorder, personality disorders are a lot more contested in, in the field. And like, mm-hmm. basically it's like, it's a super gendered disorder disorder. That's basically like, oh, if you like need a lot of attention and are manipulative and all this stuff, like you could be, you could have a histrionic <laughs> personality disorder. And right, interestingly right. enough, histrionic personality disorder, I think in the same DSM revision used to be called hysterical personality disorder. They just changed the name to try and remove the association with hysteria, but it's the exact same thing. It's still, yeah. So yeah. anyways, like there is that kind of legacy to this day. So we, we still see this kind right. of like 19th century association between hysteria and stigmata to this day. So that's right. the second thing. And then the last thing is I think it's just broadly, it allows us to ask questions about, you know, to what extent does medicine need to know certain things? Like, is this a good use right. of medical knowledge and medical investigation? In my view, generally, I don't necessarily think so. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's always like uh, necessarily ethical. Um, yes. But it also lets, we can ask questions about like, how does power operate Um not only between different kind of like social actors. So like, you know, the patient doctor, like stigmatic doctor relationship or like church officials versus kind of lay Catholics um, or kind of even across those lines, but also like how we constitute knowledge and the power dynamics of knowledge. So whether that's diagnoses or like um, what are the the good and right forms of Catholicism? How does someone become a saint or not? Um, Mm. Those are kind of power knowledge questions if we're thinking about Michel Foucault, for example. Um, So those are, that's kind of the other significance I think we can think about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Got a little philosophical at the end there. I agree though, because it's like, at what point are you just like wasting resources on this thing that doesn't really require you to do so? It's like, right. Is it necessary? Is it really like, right. Cause it's like, is it, is this something that like someone's seeking treatment for in most cases, it's not, it's like the intervention yeah. uh, unsolicited of physicians yeah. into these people's lives generally to disprove them yeah. and to prove them crazy. And there's like gender dynamics, there's like um, class dynamics. So it's just, yeah. it's quite, uh, quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm hoping that we get like a big, like, I hope we got like a stigmatic in Canada who like gets really popular and then like that would just I be hope so. Yeah, it'd be interesting. You never know. It could be one of you listening. Could yeah. Be <laughs> I know someone <laughs> literally like next week claims it. Hello. Hey, yeah. Oh, that'd be so, yeah. No, that would actually be really cool. You'd eat yeah. that shit up. Oh my God, I would. I would have so much to say. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. Good job, Sam. Thanks. So recommendations. Are you going back to philosophy? (laughs) I love their coffee. I didn't really talk about it. I had a coffee from them. Don't know why I didn't mention it. Um, Their (laughs) coffee was really good. The almond, like I'm not a huge almond croissant person, but if I were to get one, I'd be happy with this one. So Mm. like, I'll probably go back to to philosophy. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I'll be going back to Paul for sure. Okay. This second, like the literally the second my dad had the like croissants in the car, he's like, Yeah, so we're gonna have to come back here. And I was right. like, that's always a good sign when it's not like me pushing us, but it's like right. a team effort. It's a family <laughs> interest. Family. Yeah. And I think it's like cool because I mean, okay, to be fair, Paul is located on Robson Street, which many oh, yeah. who writes will know is like busiest the street, busy, one yeah. of busiest streets yeah. in Vancouver. And so for a while there 
like I think when they first opened, it was like three hour waits. And then like on weekends, it can be up to one hour waits now and stuff. Yeah. And what I would tell you for that is it's not worth it in that case. There are so many good pastry places in Vancouver, most of like a lot of which I've already reviewed. Yeah. So it's like, there's no reason in Vancouver that you need to wait an hour for a croissant. There just isn't. It's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. My dad and I, though, when we went, we truly walked in and got our stuff. Okay. So that was nice. If it looks like you're going to be waiting more than 30 minutes, there are so many good places around Around. there. Just go somewhere else. Like it's, it's, to me, very, very few foods are worth that much time. Yeah. And I don't think there's really any foods, any reason in Vancouver that I would wait that long for food when there's so many good places around. So, yeah. So you're qualifying. Okay. I'm qualifying it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So next week is going to be, this is the last one, at least for a very long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or forever. Or forever. You never know. Um, But yeah, we are looking forward to it. Excited you want to tell people it. the topic or no? Do you think I should? I can um, do it. No, keep people in suspense. Okay. Yeah. I would say if you've been listening to us the whole way through, you probably have a good sense of what era and country I'm going to focus on. Yeah. So yeah, no. <laughs> just look past old that, ones. You'll yeah, get it. <laughs> I think. Yeah. There's, we left, we left like crumbs, like follow yeah. the trail. It's like literally <laughs> the like the whole time. This has been the plan. <laughs> the first letter of every episode spells something. Go. No, it, it's it just won't. Ease. Just yeah, ease it's the like, whole way down. <laughs> oh yeah. I guess it would be. Um, well, thank, but I yeah. feel, thank you for like listening to me. I just, I, it's been so long since I've talked about it. It's like a world record for me <laughs> that I haven't talked about Stigmata in this long. So it's like don't talk about stigmata challenge thank you now i get what the hype behind your master's degree was i get it thanks yeah and if people want to read my um my research essay it's online (laughs) so look at you can look it up if you're really curious i go (laughs) into more detail. rate review subscribe the thesis (laughs) i get just like people try and get it like revoked don't do that (laughs) don't do not that'd be so annoying hilarious that would be yeah that'd be so funny (laughs) maria (laughs) <laughs> i think it'd be a little bit funny yeah. but some of us are very attached i guess yeah very, very to the degrees <laughs> but um we will talk to you all next week for the last time okay have a great day everyone bye bye <laughs> <Yes. laughs>